Section 6 of Letters to a Friend by John Muir. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Paul Fleischman. Letters from 1871. Yosemite, 1871. The Spirit has again led me into the wilderness, in opposition to all counter-attractions, and I am once more in the glory of the Yosemite. Your very cordial invitation to your home reached me as I was preparing to ascend, and my whole being was possessed with visions of snowy forests, of the pine and spruce, and of mountain spires beyond, pearly and half-transparent, reaching into heaven's blue not purer than themselves. In company with another young fellow, whom I persuaded to walk, I left the plains just as the first gold sheets were being outspread. My first plan was to follow the Tuolumne upward, as I had followed the Merced downward, and, after reaching the Hetch Hetchy Valley, which has about the same altitude as Yosemite, and spending a week or so in sketching and examining its falls and rocks, to cross the high mountains past the west end of the Hoffman Range, and go down into Yosemite by Indian Canyon, passing thus a glorious month with the mountains and all their snows and crystal brightness, and all the nameless glories of their magnificent winter. But my plan went a glee. I lost a week's sleep by the pain of a sore hand, and I became unconfident in my strength when measured against weeks of wading in snow up to my neck. Therefore, I reluctantly concluded to push directly for the valley and Tamarack. Our journey was just a week in length including one day of rest in the crane's flat cabin. Some of our nights were cold, and we were hungry once or twice. We crossed the snow line on the flank of Pilot Peak Ridge, six or eight miles below Crane's Flat. From Crane's Flat to brim of the valley, the snow was about five feet in depth, and as it was not frozen or compacted in any way, we of course had a splendid season of wading. I wish that you could have seen the edge of the snow cloud, which hovered, oh, so soothingly, down to the grand pilot peak brows, discharging its heaven-begotten snows with such unmistakable gentleness, and moving perhaps with conscious love from pine to pine, as if bestowing separate and independent blessings upon each. In a few hours we climbed under and into this glorious storm cloud, what a harvest of crystal flowers, and what wind songs were gathered from the spiry firs and the long, fringy arms of the Lambert pine. We could not see far before us in the storm, which lasted until some time in the night, but as I was familiar with the general map of the mountain, we had no difficulty in finding our way. Crane's flat cabin was buried, and we had to grope about for the door. After making a fire with some cedar rails, I went out to watch the coming on of the darkness, which was most impressively sublime. Next morning was every way the purest creation I ever beheld. The little flat, spot-like in the massive spiring woods, was in splendid vesture of universal white, upon which the grand forest edge was minutely repeated and covered with the close sheet of snow flowers. Some mosses grow luxuriantly upon the dead generations of their own species. 
The common snowflowers belong to the sky, and in storms are blown about like ripe petals in an orchard. They settle on the ground, the bottom of the atmospheric sea, like mud or leaves in a lake. And upon this soil, this field of broken sky flowers, grows a luxuriant carpet of crystal vegetation, complete and ripe in a single night. I never before knew that these mountain snow plants were so variable and abundant, forming such bushy clumps and thickets and palmy, ferny groves. Wading waist-deep, I had a fine opportunity for observing them, but they shrink from human breath, not the only flowers which do so, evidently not made for man, neither the flowers composing the snow, which came drifting down to us broken and dead, nor the more beautiful crystals which vegetate upon them. A great many storms have come to these mountains since I passed them, and they can hardly be less than ten feet. At the altitude of Tamarack, still more. The weather here is balmy now, and the falls are glorious. Three weeks ago, the thermometer at sunrise stood at twelve degrees. I have repaired the mill and dam, and the stream is in no danger of drying up, and is more dammed than ever. Today has been cloudy and rainy. Tisiac and Star King are grandly dipped in white cloud. I sent you my plants by express. I am sorry that my Yosemite specimens are not with the others. I left a few notes with Mrs. Yelverton when I left the valley in the fall. I wish that you would ask her, if you should see her, where she left them, as Mrs. Hutchings does not know. I shall be happy to join Stoddard in anything whatever. Mrs. H. had a letter from him lately, part of which she read to me. And now, Mrs. Carr, you must see the upper mountains and meadows back of Yosemite. You have seen nothing as yet, and I will guide you a whole summer if you wish. I am very happy here and cannot break for the Andes just yet. Squirrel is at my knee. She says, tell Mrs. Carr to come here tomorrow and tell her to bring her little boy when she comes. If you will come, she says that she will guide you to the falls and give you lots of flowers. Mrs. H. tells me to say that she has received a very kind letter from you, which she will answer. Sends thus her kindest regards. If she can find a chance, she will send bulbs of lily by mail. I have been nearly blind since I crossed the snow. Give my kindest regards to all your homeful and to my friends. I am always Yours most cordially, J.M. Yosemite, August 13th, 1871. I was so stunned and dazed by your last that I have not been able to write anything. I was sure that you were coming, and you cannot come, and Mr. King, the artist, left me the other day, and I am done with Hutchings, and I am lonely. Well, it must be wait. For although there is no common human reason why I should not see you and civilization in Oakland, I cannot escape from the powers of the mountains. I shall tie some flour and a blanket behind my saddle and return to the Mono region and try to decide some questions that require undisturbed thought. There I will stalk about on the summit slates of Dana and Gibbs and Lyle, reading new chapters of glacial manuscript and more if I can. 
Then perhaps I will follow the Tuolumne down to the Hetch Hetchy Yosemite. Then perhaps follow the Yosemite stream back to its smallest source in the mountains of the Lyle group and the Cathedral group and the Obelisk and Mount Hoffman. This will perhaps be my work until the coming of the winter snows when I will probably find a sheltered rock nook where I can make a nest of leaves and mosses and doze until spring. I expect to be entirely alone in these mountain walks, and notwithstanding the glorious portion of daily bread which my soul will receive in these fields where only the footprints of God are seen, the gloaman will be lonely, but I will cheerfully pay the price of friendship and all besides. I suppose that you have seen Mr. King, who kindly carried some flies for Mr. Edwards. I thought you would easily see him or let him know that you had his specimens. I collected most of them upon Mount Hoffman, but was so busy in assisting Riley that I could not do much in butterflies. Hereafter, I shall be entirely free. The purples and yellows begin to come in the green of our groves, and the rocks have the autumn haze and the water songs are at their lowest hushings. Young birds are big as old ones. And is it true that these are Bryant's melancholy days? I don't know. I will not think. But I will go above these brooding days to the higher, brighter mountains. Farewell. Cordially ever yours, John Muir. I shall hope to hear from you soon. I will come down some of the valley canyons occasionally for letters. I am sorry that you are so laden with university cares. I think that you and the doctor do more than your share. Do you know anything about this Liebig's extract of meat? I would like to carry a year's provisions in the form of condensed bread and meat, and I have been thinking perhaps all that I want is in the market. Yosemite, September 8th, 1871 I am sorry that King made you uneasy about me. He does not understand me as you do, and you must not heed him so much. He thinks that I am melancholy, and above all, that I require polishing. I feel sure that if you were here to see how happy I am and how ardently I am seeking a knowledge of the rocks, you could not call me away, but would gladly let me go with only God and his written rocks to guide me. You would not think of calling me to make machines or a home, or of rubbing me against other minds, or of setting me up for measurement. No, dear friend, you would say, keep your mind untrammeled and pure. Go unfrictioned, unmeasured, and God give you the true meaning and interpretation of his mountains. You know that for the last three years I have been ploddingly making observations about this valley and the high mountain region to the east of it drifting broodingly about and taking in every natural lesson that I was fitted to absorb. In particular, the great valley has always kept a place in my mind. What tools did he use? How did he apply them and when? I considered the sky above it and all of its opening canyons and studied the forces that came in by every door that I saw standing open, but I could get no light. Then I said, you are attempting what is not possible for you to accomplish. Yosemite is the end of a grand chapter. If you would learn to read it, go commence at the beginning. 
Then I went above to the alphabet valleys of the summits, comparing canyon with canyon, with all their varieties of rock structure and cleavage and the comparative size and slope of the glaciers and waters which they contained. Also, the grand congregations of rock creations was present to me, and I studied their forms and sculpture. I soon had a key to every Yosemite rock and perpendicular and sloping wall. The grandeur of these forces and their glorious results overpower me and inhabit my whole being. Waking or sleeping, I have no rest. In dreams, I read blurred sheets of glacial writing, or follow lines of cleavage, or struggle with the difficulties of some extraordinary rock form. Now it is clear that woe is me if I do not drown this tendency towards nervous prostration by constant labor in working up the details of this whole question. I have been down from the upper rocks only three days, and am hungry for exercise already. Professor Runkel, president of the Boston Institute of Technology, was here last week, and I preached my glacial theory to him for five days, taking him into the canyon of the valley and up among the grand glacier wombs and pathways of the summit. He was fully convinced of the truth of my readings and urged me to write out the glacial system of Yosemite and its tributaries for the Boston Academy of Science. I told him that I meant to write my thoughts for my own use and that I would send him the manuscript, and if he and his wise scientific brothers thought it of sufficient interest, they might publish it. He is going to send me some instruments, and I mean to go over all the glacier basins carefully, working until driven down by the snow. In winter, I can make my drawings and maps and write out notes. So you see that for a year or two, I will be very busy. I have settled with Hutchings and have no dealings with him now. I think that next spring I will have to guide a month or two for pocket money, although I do not like the work. I suppose I might live for one or two seasons without work. I have $500 here, and I have been sending home money to my sisters and brothers, perhaps about twelve or $1,500, and a man in Canada owes me three or $400 more, which I suppose I could get if I was in need. But you know that the Scotch do not like to spend their last dollar. Some of my friends are badgering me to write for some of the magazines, and I am almost tempted to try it, only I am afraid that this would distract my mind from my work more than the distasteful and depressing labor of the mill or of guiding. What do you think about it? Suppose I should give some of the journals my first thoughts about this glacier work as I go along and afterwards gather them and press them for the Boston wise. Or will it be better to hold work and say it all at a breath? You see how practical I have become and how fully I have burdened you with my little affairs. Perhaps you will ask, what plan are you going to pursue in your work? Well, here it is, the only book I ever have invented. First, I will describe each glacier with its tributary separately, then describe the rocks and hills and mountains over which they have flowed or past which they have flowed, endeavoring to prove that all of the various forms which those rocks now have are the necessary result of the ice action in connection with their structure and cleavage, etc. 
also the different kinds of canyons and lake basins and meadows which they have made. Then, armed with this data, I will come down to the Yosemite, where all my ice has come, and prove that each dome and brow and wall, and every grace and spire and brother, is the necessary result of the delicately balanced blows of well-directed and combined glaciers against the parent rocks which contained them, only thinly carved and molded in some instances by the subsequent action of water, etc. Libby sent me Tyndall's new book, and I have looked hastily over it. It is an alpine mixture of very pleasant taste, and I wish I could enjoy reading and talking it with you. I expect Mrs. H. will accompany her husband to the east this winter, and there will not be one left with whom I can exchange a thought. Mrs. H. is going to leave me out all the books I want, and Runkle is going to send me Darwin. These, with my notes and maps, will fill my winter hours, if my eyes do not fail. And, now that you see my whole position, I think that you would not call me to the excitements and distracting novelties of civilization. The bread question is very troublesome. I will eat anything you think will suit me. Send up either by express to Big Oak Flat or by any other chance, and I will remit the money required in any way you like. My love to all, and more thanks than I can write for your constant kindness. End of section 6